Thank you for joining us on YA Media, New Milford Youth Agency's media production podcast. Thank you to today's guest, Laura Olson. We are your hosts, Paz Moran, Dylan Thomas, and Annabelle Colonna. So to start off, why don't you tell us about yourself and your position with the New Milford Public Schools? Okay, great. Thanks. Um, well, actually, I uh, have been with the school district since 1992. I started out as a special education teacher and department chair at Skadikoke Middle School. And uh, that was right when they actually started putting up walls. It used to be an open concept, so it was <laughs> completely <laughs> different environment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I started in, in that area. I went back to college, obviously. I got one master's, and I went back for another master's um, in leadership. And um, I left New Milford for about three years. I went to New Fairfield, and I was a special ed supervisor there. And I really enjoyed um, the change. I think I needed the change. I think it was mm -hmm. good for me to mm -hmm. have a different perspective. But um, there was just always something tugging at my heart in terms of New Milford. I really felt as though I wanted to come back to my community. I've raised my three children here. Um, my husband and I still live here. Um, I have a lot of close friends that are in the school district as well as outside of the school district. So. There was an opportunity to come back as director, and um, I applied for it and I got it. So I have no regrets. It's one of the most challenging yeah. positions that um, I believe is in the school district. Um, yeah. And uh, I just, I really do love what I do. There are times that it's stressful, but anytime you want to do good work, it can be stressful. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's basically how it happened. Prior to that, I. Worked in the inner city in um, St. Louis, which was interesting. There was an active KKK right down the street. Wow. Um, that was in the early 90s. And prior to that, I was born and raised in Wisconsin. So if you listen to me talk enough, you'll hear the, <laughs> 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 the, the little bit of uh, Midwestern twang. Um, so, you know, really kind of a diverse background in terms mm -hmm. of um, really more uh, inner city. And then, I, you know, we lived and I worked in a college um, University Town Madison, which was very progressive, um, and then moving out here. So um, I really feel like I have a, a kind of broad-based understanding of what truly struggles are, especially after working in the inner city like that. Yeah. Um, and then coming out here to a more at the time when I moved out here, it was rural. It was really. Uh, I remember we came made a trip out here, and someone said to us at a restaurant, "You mean you're going to move to the country?" <laughs> <laughs> And there was nothing like Route 7 at that point. I mean, there were just a few restaurants, and, um, you know, I think there was one, you know, like department store, one grocery store. Yeah. So it's really changed, and, um, you know, I'm really proud to be here. Do you work primarily with just kids, or do you work with adults <clears throat> and parents as well? Well, you know, now in this position, I don't really work with students at all, which is, you know, kind of... Um, the, the sacrifice I, I believe that I've made because my heart has always been working with kids mm -hmm. um, but I really feel like in this position I can make impact and make change um, working with adults so I do a lot of work with um, I have special ed supervisors that work with me I have department chairs and then I have teachers um, occupational therapists physical therapists speech and language pathologists behaviorists so I really make sure that um, <clears throat> we're all communicating, we're on the same page, and that we're always centered at what's best for kids. Yeah. Um, I work closely with the building administrators, and then I also work with the cabinet at central office, which would include Mr. Corporal, our new um, super superintendent, facilities, upper, um, you know, so there's there's just a lot. But yeah. I enjoy really working with everyone. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely never boring. <laughs> <laughs> what would the correct terminology be for children with special needs? Um, well, <clears throat> I think we, you know, I think 
being sensitive to it, I think, is kind of the big umbrella. But mm -hmm. um, typically what I like to hear right, you know, today, 2021, would be students with special needs. Right. Um, and that really covers a vast array um, mm -hmm. of students. And it isn't even students with, um, a, a, you know, reported disability. It could just be special needs. So it covers, um, you know, a vast spectrum. So that would the most appropriate way to term it. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you think a lot of people are using that language or do you still hear people using incorrect terminology or even offensive words or phrases? Um, I do and I think that we've done a lot of good modeling within the school district. Um, there's actually, and I see it out in the community, and, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's just a lack of education and it's really about re-educating and educating families. Um, parents of students with special needs are very honed into it, like they really are. Mm -hmm. Um, aware of it. Mm -hmm. So it's really out of respect for the students and for the families that we use the right terminology. And I don't know if you want me to talk about um, uh, people first language, but it's a really cool article. Yeah. It's only one page. Google it. You'll find it. But it really talks about that the disability doesn't define us. Mm -hmm. We have a lot yeah. of strengths. We have a lot of passions. We have a lot of qualities that really showcase who we are. And a disability is only one part of us. So when we talk about um, a student with autism, let's say, that mm -hmm. autism might be part of who they are, but they might be a wonderful cellist, or they might be a great artist, or they might be yeah. able to run down the court with a basketball. So it's mm -hmm. about really showcasing the strengths and the abilities. So it's a great article, People First Language. Anytime we hire someone new, and we always do new teacher orientation, or even when our paraeducators come in that are new, I try and make sure that they read that article, because it's really important for us to put the student first, and then... Mm -hmm. The ability or disability. So first of all, they're a child before anything. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What is the term, like a child with special needs, what does special needs cover? Does that cover like all disabilities or are there specific, you know, specific words you use for well, different ones? Right. So there are. So, you know, a lot of what I have to do is follow the law. <laughs> and the law <laughs> is really important to me. And there's a really big law called IDEA. It's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. It was I believe enacted first in 1976, I could be off by a year or two, but it has evolved and it has actually been revised throughout um, these years. But this big umbrella really protects students with handicaps and so um, what they have done is they have really identified 13 different categories for different disabilities. The latest right. one is dyslexia, which I'm sure you've heard of. It's a mm -hmm. um, profound you know, language reading disorder, reading and writing. Um, so there are 13 different classifications that we can classify students as, but it's rigorous. We have to go through a lot of testing and evaluating and doing historicals, observations, before we would ever, ever want to classify a student with a disability. So when we look at kids in the school system, we really try and do early intervention. You've probably seen students or, you know, pulled out for reading intervention, or there's a teacher that mm -hmm. pushes in, or there's a peer educator that helps the student. So we always try with that that less involved intervention first, but if after we've exhausted all our resources and the student still isn't successful, then we really need to look at, uh, you know, further testing, more, more formal evaluations. Yeah. And parents always have the right too, if they're really concerned about their child and they come to us and they say, I really want to refer my child because I'm really concerned about such and such and such, there are steps that they can take to refer their child and get the evaluation done too. How early can those evaluations start? Like, what's the youngest age that you could start testing a child? Um, well, actually, we have birth to three. Um, birth to three programs are throughout the country, and they, they actually um, identify students who might need 
um, services. So you could go through your pediatrician, and oftentimes pediatricians are really good at detecting any differences early on, significant ones. Um, and so they might hook the parent up with a birth to three provider, and then they would evaluate and determine whether or not they would research services. In the public school, we have um, a preschool program, which is um, actually recognized for really just how great it is. I actually tried to get my son into the program as a typical peer years ago, and he didn't meet the lottery. We have a lottery for it. So um, it's very well respected. In fact, some of our students that graduate from the Excel program is for three and four-year-olds. Um, have stronger reading skills than our entering kindergartners. And so wow. the beauty of the program is that it's all inclusive. And you're going to hear me use that word a lot, inclusion, because it really is about acceptance and including. Mm -hmm. So with that preschool program, it's 50-50. So it's 50% students with disabilities and then 50% typical peers. So they have those typical peers to listen to, to get that you know richer language from, to show the yeah. good behavior modeling. So it's that 50-50 model, I think, that's been so successful for us. Yeah. Um, and we have just some tremendous teachers in our preschool program. And um, you know we have a, a department chair who actually works really well with them, too. So I know I got sidetracked a little bit. Oh, um, the original question was what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I can't remember when we were going It was back. about when can a child oh, yeah, be referred. So that would, yeah. be, that would be the earliest. Um, we sometimes have students who are you know, first identified in third grade or, yeah. or even fifth grade, or sometimes even in high school, especially if they have good compensatory skills. You know, they kind of um, work so hard or get so much support that it isn't as easily detected. Um, mm -hmm. But that is fewer and far between. The, the majority of the students are referred, I would say, in you know, your, your pre-K to grade six. Yeah. And we actually met with a parent earlier on with uh, two children with special needs, and she said that her child uh, passed the test where he's not classified as mm -hmm. a child with special needs anymore. Can you like, explain that more? He was maybe declassified? Yeah, declassified. Yeah. That's so that's awesome. <laughs> 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 because what we find, find with students that get declassified is that they haven't necessarily, the disability hasn't necessarily gone away. Like mm -hmm. a learning disability is a neurological disorder, so is dyslexia. But what has happened is they've developed such good compensatory skills, which I mentioned before, that they can meet grade level expectations without significant accommodations or modifications. So that does happen. In fact, I was just, I always collect data for different things, and we had declassified, mm -hmm. I think, even in um, this COVID time right now, between the beginning of the school, school year now, I think 10 students. Right. So that is. That's always a reason to celebrate, yeah. as, as is students with disabilities continuing to make progress. But yes, that's a, that's a really good point because some of our kids do get declassified. Speaking of COVID, since you, since you mentioned it, how has schooling changed with all this? Because I know learning remotely, students may not have access to a pair of the same resources they would have in school. Mm -hmm. Is that all on the parents mm -hmm. to help their student, or do they, does the school provide any resources? Right. No, we actually provide quite a bit. Um, I wouldn't say, have said that March 13th <laughs> when we all yeah. went to remote learning. I'm like, oh my God, what are we going to do for our kids? Um, and we've learned a lot. You know, staff and support staff we've, and families have learned a huge amount on, uh, with technology. Mm -hmm. um, Google Meets, Google Breakout Sessions, Zoom Sessions. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the things that really were not as familiar to us as a district. Um, and, uh, you know, some districts were farther ahead with technology than we were. They've had flipped classrooms already. We didn't. So huge learning, huge commitment. Um, and so I definitely, starting in March, we had some growing pains. 
Um, and we've evolved tremendously. In fact, our paraeducators do work with our students, and a lot of our students with the most significant needs with um, either special ed or there's another category called 504, um, but they are in school already four days a week. So yeah. we have over 250 of our students in school four days a week, mm -hmm. even with the hybrid model. Um, so that's huge, and mm -hmm. you know, that is, that's really, uh, I think something to be very proud of because it's not easy because we still have to keep the kids socially distant mm -hmm. but we have to be able to provide services so on that Wednesday mm -hmm. let's say when they are remote or if they're on hybrid and they're remote we have paras doing breakout sessions we have you know OT PT and I'm going to use occupational therapy physical yeah. therapy speech and language sometimes doing teletherapy sometimes doing in-person therapy so um, it really depends on the needs of the students and I think that's one of the um, really positive pieces with all of it is individualized. It's that it's yeah. not one size fits all because um, some families struggle more um, right now and so we have to meet the needs and help the families along too. Um, so our staff is working very, very hard. That's awesome. One of the questions we do have here, and it sounds like you guys provide a lot of resources. You provide whatever you can for both children and their parents. But what are the limitations that the school has, or what are some things that maybe you would like to see more of, or more resources mm -hmm. that could be helpful? Mm -hmm. Well, you could always use more. You know, you could mm -hmm. definitely always use more. I think, um, you know, as a district and with um, our budget, I think that we do a very good job at providing services. But you know, I would always love more staff. I would love yeah. to be able to have you know double the <laughs> amount of paraeducators, student yeah. care workers, special ed teachers, regular. So. I think that piece of it is always going to be a challenge um, because you always have to make do with what you have. Um, but I'm not saying we're we're lacking by any stretch in comparison to other districts. It's just a reality. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you can always use more staff. I would love to have more. Um, well, a year ago, I would have said, I wish I had more technology. I don't know if I necessarily <laughs> would say that anymore. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, you know, there are different components, um, you know, just uh, free play time, sensory things, all of those yeah. things. But I think that we've we've been able to provide quite a, a bit for our students. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's staffing. I think it's really about, you know, continuing to promote and, and hire good quality people yeah. um, to work with our students. Mm -hmm. So Before, when you were talking about technology, what were you thinking? Before COVID. Oh, before COVID? Oh, I'd love everyone to have a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <Yeah>. Check. <laughs> no, but there's, um, we also have an assistive technology consultant for the district, and she does a great job in terms of providing certain apps and programs for students, even students who are nonverbal, who need certain um, programs, you know, built into either their iPhone or their iPad or whatever. And so mm -hmm. you could always use more of that, um, but it's really about... Um, the individual piece too because the technology is is appropriate and good for some of our students but it also is not good for all of our students. Right, the balance. Yeah. 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 yeah, so that is a challenge. So for when uh, children with special needs reach their senior year, um, what like happens next? Like what's <laughs> Well, it depends. <laughs> Actually, a number of them go on to college successfully mm -hmm. and some of them go on to college with accommodations and so there are um, student assistant programs in colleges, especially state universities and even private universities now that really meet the needs. It's not to the degree that you would get in high school or middle school yeah. Yeah. or elementary, but there there are like having tests read or whatever that <clears throat> different types of accommodations that they could provide if you have an IEP your senior year. 
Other students go on to vocational schools. Um, some go into, you know, um, work, you know, regular yeah. work experiences. Um, we do have a program for our most in, severely um, involved students. It's a transition program. So under that big umbrella called IDEA, which I mentioned, mm -hmm. um, there are services for students, mandated services, up until now the age of 22. So on their 20 up until their 22nd birthday, and that was just expanded like in the last few months. It used to be 21, now it's 22, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what that program is, Litchfield Hills Transition Program, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, Mrs. Arnold, I think, mentioned that. When yeah. we talked yes, to her. yes. And uh, so I'm you know, very proud of the work that they've been able to do. And up until this year, because of COVID, we've had it at the MAX. You familiar with the MAX? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's a, a recreational oh, <laughs> run by the youth <laughs> agency. <laughs> um, and so we have it in that building, which was was good. It was an off-site. It wasn't a school setting. But because of COVID restrictions and nurse compliance, we had to actually move it into Noble. So they're up in my wing where I am right now, so I get to actually see them. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, want them actually to be back at the max for next year. We're looking at remodeling that building, um, making it more yeah. user-friendly so that the students would have uh, a meeting area, technology area, an active kitchen, um, a, yeah. you know, a, um, like a not fake but a simulated bedroom with you know, like you uh, know iron, not ironing but folding clothes putting yeah. them in you know making oh, a yeah. bed all of those mm -hmm. things so it's really a combination of life skills which a lot of them need and then it's also about jobs um, mm -hmm. if you go out into the community if you go into Big Y, Stu Leonard's um, I'm trying to think we we've had probably a dozen different um, different job sites in the community and you see our students working yeah. mm -hmm. um, and so because of COVID we've had to limit that this year so they're in a few churches cleaning and they're also in a few schools but um, some of them actually after 21 or even before they'll go on to active employment um, we've seen our students go on to Stu Leonard's working you know part-time or full-time and, and a number of different places within the community um, and this has really been a good bridge for them because they've gained those skills. Um, and then for some of our other students, Litchfield Hills is really for more of the leisure activities and for really um, just exposure to the community and to the social piece of it because they have um, different needs. So mm -hmm. it really depends on the student. But it's been a great program. And actually we have um, districts that send their students um, and we've had waiting lists already because right. there have been students from other districts that don't have this program mm -hmm. and are sent to us. So, it's have a you? Good thing. Sorry, sorry. No, she was like, the cutoff is 22. So, after this, is there anyone that these like individuals can reach out to <laughs> right. after? Well, what we try and do is a great question because what we try and do is we try and make the transition to really adult life for these students as seamless as possible. So there's state and federal agencies that are involved and so they actually can start working with our students toward the end of their um, transition program with us and they, they actually um, called DDS or BRS, um, two different agencies, and they work closely with the families and with the student to actually get them into either gainful employment or some type of job skill or life skill so that there is still um, structure in their day and, and meaningful structure so that they're still considered part of the community and active. So what is like the overall mission of the school for students with special needs? Hmm. <laughs> That's a great question. You know, it, it, a lot of the um, words that I use sometimes are taken right from IDEA because that is really the law, but it's a free and appropriate education 
in the least restrictive environment. Mm -hmm. And that is the overarching goal for all of us. So when you think of a free and appropriate education, none of our students should ever be charged or billed for yeah. special ed services. Appropriate means really meeting their educational goals. Like each student mm -hmm. has an individual education plan. We call them an IEP with strengths and weaknesses and goals that they need to meet. So that's part of the appropriate. Um, public is public and then education is education. But in the least restrictive environment, that's really important because we need to always be thinking about our students as general ed students first. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not, as we said, uh, student first language, people first language, they're not their disability. Yeah. So we have to always think about the least restrictive environment. And what that means is how can we maintain them in general ed or in a special with the least amount of you know accommodations and modifications in order to make them successful. So um, that's always a challenge because sometimes we want to overhelp, we overprompt students. So we want to make sure that they're given the opportunity to um, you know be as successful and as independent as they can be. So it's that least restrictive environment. We do a lot of co-teaching. You've probably mm -hmm. been in co-taught classes maybe at the high school or, or yeah. known about them. Um, that's a, a very effective model. We have a, a special ed teacher and a, a general ed teacher teaching together. Um, so all students' needs get met. And you blur the line between special ed and general ed, which is beautiful because that's exactly yeah. what you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, we do a lot of that. We do... Um, you know, even starting at our preschool, when I said about the 50-50, yeah. that's perfect inclusion. So we're always promoting that. We're always looking really closely at our numbers and our data. So um, we've done a good job in that area. Yeah, when I was in middle school, we started this program called Unified Buddies. <laughs> and it's where, like, we would, like, stay after school and play, like, basketball and, like, different sports. And then we, um, towards the end, we would end up playing against other schools. And it was so <laughs> much fun. It was, like, <laughs> co-ed yeah. and stuff. No, it's great. Um, I started that program, it started, I want to say, six or seven years ago. And we started at the high school, and then it, it actually moved down to the middle school, too. So it's a, a branch off of, um, what's the name of it? It's not Unified Sports. It's um, Special Olympics. Sp uh, Special Olympics. Thank you. So <laughs> so what it does, though, is, it, it like you said, it pairs a typical student with a student with a disability. Mm -hmm. And um, just a win-win situation yeah. for everyone. The, the hard thing was with COVID this year is that we really yeah. couldn't um, launch yeah. it again. But we will next year. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of students, uh, general ed students, who actually really benefit from it, too, because it yeah. really gives them a better understanding of what it's like to... Um, help someone, to see someone grow, to work mm -hmm. alongside someone, and that yeah. disabilities aren't scary things. They, we all have them, and mm -hmm. that we can all work together. Yeah. So, I joined Unified Buddies once I got to high school, Did and you? it's so much fun. It I lear I've learned so much <laughs> from being a part of yeah. it, and it really is a great experience. I've encouraged all my friends to join it for an activity period. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. We'll promote it next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, so a good question I'd like to ask is, how can parents find out about all these services? Like, are, are they aware, or do some parents maybe not know that there are these resources out there and then therefore they can't utilize mm -hmm. them? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really great question because I, I, you know, we try and make special education as less daunting as possible, but when you get into special education, there are probably 150 acronyms. IEP, PPS, BCA, it just goes on and on and on. And, um, even for you know a, a 
staff person, it can be overwhelming. So for parents, we really, especially at the early grades, we really try and spend more time with them during our meetings. We try and explain things. There are things on the website, Parents Guide to an IEP. Um, and we, we really, and we differentiate for our parents, just like we differentiate for our students. So if there's a parent that needs more time from us, more, um, you know, supports or whatever, we try and provide that because um, it can definitely be um, an overwhelming process and a little scary process, especially for our younger grades. Um, you know, a lot of our parents' hopes and dreams, um, you know, are different. They, they didn't expect this. There's a great article, it's called Welcome to Holland. And if you ever get a chance to read it again, it's a beautiful one-page article. I, I, it's probably 10 years old already at this point, but this is another one that I send out to new staff and to um, people that join us. But it's about a parent actually planning a trip, and they're planning on going to, I want to say, Germany. And so they're ready. They pack their bags with all their garb and everything that they're going to need, and they have their maps, and they have all their travel guides because they know Germany mm -hmm. has great um, cheese and pretzels and beer and dancing yeah. and all these things, and they're ready to go. And so they get on their plane and they anticipate their trip and they actually hear from the pilot overhead and we've diverted our trip, our route, we're going to actually be landing in Holland. And so these parents are really upset, these families are upset. Here they are, they thought that they were going to one country, they're going completely different, they're prepared for Holland. They don't even know if they like Holland. Mm -hmm. Holland is not going to be what they want. Holland is not going to be what they expected. So they get to Holland. And you know what? Holland has, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I always do when I tell this story. But Holland has wonderful um, windmills. Holland has wonderful dancing. Holland has beautiful sunrises and sunsets. And so in the eyes of a parent with a student with a disability, you can only imagine the journey that they go on and mm -hmm. how, you know, really it takes um, understanding, education, empathy, and really just that overarching love for their child that it's okay. You know, it is okay, and it's sometimes more than okay, and the benefits that it can bring to a family and to a school and to a classroom sometimes far outweigh um, the yeah. disability itself. So. That's I like great. that story. That's yeah, that was have you really heard, good. Have you heard it before? I haven't, no, oh. but I like that. Yeah, it just, um, I don't know, it's, uh, it's uh, important for us to remember because we, we sometimes, um, you know, go through, worried about time and schedules and all these things to really take that time with our families. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. I think that's something you hear a lot with some parents that they say when their children were younger and they found out that they had special needs, they found that they didn't spend as much time as they would have liked to, like just spending time with them. They spent mm -hmm. so much time worrying like what to do, right. you know, what resources, what do we have to think about right. for the future right. rather than just spending time with right. their family right. and stuff. Right, And you know, you think of the siblings, you think of mm -hmm. all of the components of a family and how a special needs child can really impact everyone in, you know, in many ways. There is an agency called CPAC, it's the Connecticut Parents Association. Um, and so that's a resource for families too. They can, it's a, a state agency and it certainly offers advocacy, information, trainings for families, that's one. Um, sometimes going to your pediatrician too and just saying, you know, I'm, I'm worried about my child, what should I do? Because um, they can look at things not only from a medical perspective but also a psychological perspective and say, well, maybe they need some counseling or maybe you need some therapy or, you know. Yeah. And um, partnering with the school is always really important too so that we all have the same information so that we can all work together. Yeah. 
does the school contact parents directly and like have that communication, you know, one on one with parents, or is it more of between a parent and like their specific parent for their student? In terms of like just in general, like their child's uh, their education, how things are going, like in classes, if they have a concern, mm -hmm. would they go directly to the school, or does that go through someone else? Well, if they have an IEP and they've already mm -hmm. been identified, which I think is what you're asking mm -hmm. yeah so what they would do there's a there's a platform for it it's called a planning and placement team meeting ppt mm -hmm. another acronym <laughs> <laughs> and so parents can request a ppt at any time if they're concerned about their child um, at the least we have to have one at least every year it's called an annual review we look at new goals and objectives for the child we look at updating everything in his program and making sure that they're continuing to make progress. Mm -hmm. And if they're not making progress, then we need to take a hard look at what we're doing. And so we need to review and revise and really maybe get additional assessments on the child. So um, at least once a year. Very rarely is it only one time a year, um, but sometimes that does happen, and, and that's a good thing too. Yeah. How can parents find out about services that are not part of schools? Um, well, <clears throat> kind of what I just went back to in terms of um, CPAC, the parent yeah. organization, your pediatrician. Um, if they're already receiving services um, from, let's say, a counselor or a therapist, you could ask them for what are some other you know, resources in the area. The other um, one would be voluntary services through the Department of Child and Family, DCF. They do offer some in-home services, and they might be able to lead you too. So, there's a number of different things I you know I, I always wish there was more um, yeah. but certainly there are quite a few it, it does take um, persistence on the parents part though to really find out what all of those that we do are the best that we can we have tremendous counselors and, and social workers psychologists in the district that will um, help parents and sometimes even make phone calls with them to help them um, or to f complete forms with them so um, there is definitely support at the beginning, just going back to the terminology, and you talked a lot about how it was about the education that, well, a lot of people aren't educated right now, and that's why people are using the wrong terminology. Mm -hmm. Well, if you had to choose one thing, like you had to get one thing out there for everyone to know, what would it be? Would it be the terminology, or is there oh, something else that you would want everyone to know <laughs> that you think maybe is the um, most important? Well, no, I mean, I, you know, I think we all have disabilities whether they're pronounced enough to um, require an IEP or not. Mm -hmm. But we all have strengths and weaknesses. And so I think we have to remember, yes, it's our job to remediate those weaknesses in public school, but it's also our job to celebrate those strengths. And so the more that we can balance that, I think the better chance our students have of being successful. Mm -hmm. um, and I do go to COVID right now, and I do talk about mental health because it is really on the forefront right now. A lot of our, our students are yeah. struggling, families are struggling. Mm -hmm. um, students that are, are at re home doing remote instruction but might not be engaged. So those are um, the challenges that we're going to be facing in the next few months when we go to mm -hmm. all in to really find out. And our social workers and our support staff are working hard already reaching out to families, um, you know, trying to even making home visits right now, which in yeah. the world of COVID is something we shouldn't be doing, but I know some of them do that already just because they care. Um, but yes, I mean, really making sure that we're, we're addressing mental health. So when I am the director of PPS, which I guess I am, um, <laughs> part of my role is not just special education. Part of my role is also director of pupil personnel services. So that includes our nurses, 
So I've been very involved with our nurses. You can only imagine during COVID, yeah. they've done a tremendous job. Our psychologists, our speech and language, uh, no, um, social workers. So those people service all of our students, mm -hmm. um, whether or not they're special ed. So I really wear two different hats in the district, which is, is nice because I can also impact other students and then also the students with IEPs. Yeah. Dude, this is kind of going backwards a little bit, but you mentioned how the 50-50 model has really worked in younger grades. Do you think that that should be seen more in the upper grades in middle and high school? Because I feel like I've had a few classes that are co-ed, but not a lot. I can name maybe one class I can specifically remember was maybe close mm -hmm. to 50-50. Mm -hmm. It's still more like 75-25. But do you think that that's something that would work in the higher grades and should try to be integrated? So um, I well, I think um, in terms of the 50-50, that's, that's kind of an extreme model because mm -hmm. typically you won't have 50% of your kids in your classroom, middle school, high school, even certain number, that are special education and, you know what I yeah. mean, and mm -hmm. then general ed. Although we do have students who have profound disabilities. And so yeah. when they have profound disabilities, we really need to look at the setting. Uh, to make sure that they're getting what they want. And some of those students are in a more restrictive environment, and so they are part of their day um, with uh, smaller class size, more uh, related service in there, you know, teacher, paraeducator, student care workers, so they're getting what they need, but they are not necessarily in general ed all the time. And so that is always a careful balance, and we're always looking at it real closely because we want to make sure, again, that's at least restrictive environment. Yeah. Um, always eat lunch with their peers, always, you know, go to specials with their peers. But there are certain students that require that. Um, and it's not a life sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. I mean, we always want to see them grow, and we want to challenge them and make them as... Um, independent as possible. So it's really a big continuum of services. It starts with your most restrictive and then all the way to students who might just need accommodations or modifications in general ed. Yeah. So, Is there anything more um, for us as students that we could do to like help out with children with special needs? Oh, well, the, you know, there's, I always talk about articles or books, but the power of peers is huge. Mm -hmm. It's huge. It's, it's sometimes more impactful as the kids get older than teachers. Mm -hmm. or support staff. And so I think just being aware, being sensitive, um, seeing opportunities, finding opportunities to work with someone. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, the Olympics, the Special Olympics, I'm having trouble with that word. What is it? That, <laughs> not the buddies. Unified sports yeah. mm -hmm. um, is a great opportunity. Um, I do think there should be more opportunities maybe mm -hmm. built into our schools. I think that would be a, a great way to support students with disabilities. Um, so, But I think just to your point even, just finding those opportunities, walk yeah. with someone in the hallway, um, you know, engage a conversation with someone, just you know, to be a friend, to mm -hmm. really be a friend, because there are really, there should be no, no boundaries, and it takes people like you who really are aware of it to kind of set the tone and to say, you know, this is good. This is this is win-win for both of us. So mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. Are there other ever um, things that you find that some of the students with special needs say that they wish that they were seeing more of, or either resources they've wanted, or things that they'd like to see their peers doing? Hmm. I don't know if they've articulated it. Um, I think that being aware of the language that we use and how we view inclusion and how we, um, and, and you know, uh, 
principal, I don't know if you know Mrs. Bilko. She's at the at Sarah Noble. I always look to you. I forget you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. But um, she always talks about the invisible backpack. And so there are students walking our hallways in our classes that we may not even know struggle. And so yeah. I think it's being aware of everyone and as, as much as you can do. But that invisible backpack could be um, mental health issues. It could be depression. It could be um, challenges at home. It could be a multitude of issues. And so when you know the student is shutting down or not working, it's that invisible backpack and that it isn't a disability that you can see. It isn't a, uh, you know, something that might be mechanical, like a wheelchair. It's, it's really an invisible backpack, mm -hmm. and um, I think we all have them to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully really. yours are small, but <laughs> there are kids in our district that really are settled with some heavy-duty issues. So I think it's about being sensitive and not passing judgment. So if mm -hmm. we do see someone who is, you know, maybe cursing someone out or not that we make excuses for everyone but yeah. there are typically reasons why kids do act the way that they do um, and just being aware and, and, and sensitive to it mm -hmm. and treating everyone equally yes exactly I mean we pretty much summed up all the questions already so if you have any questions you would like to ask us please do. <laughs> well, um, so you're in Danbury yes. you're at the high school mm -hmm. what do you see at the high school I mean, do you see opportunities to help students with special needs, or are you so busy with your classes and your course load? I mean, I think Unified Buddies, I think they actually do a fair bit of like, yeah. I don't want to say advertisement, but people are aware of it, mm -hmm. you know, they know that the opportunity is out there, whether, you know, they decide to take it or not. I feel like we've gotten a lot of people, even yeah. last year, I feel like the numbers really went up of Great. the general ed students who decided to join. Great. And I think that I, I, I've actually been kind of impressed to see like how many people will go up to a student with special needs at lunch and sit with them. I know Dylan, you were often like sitting at those tables. That's you were always great. the first one to like go yeah. over and right. ask like, oh, that's nice. yeah. "Hey, do you want me want to sit here with me?" And um, we've had some students with special needs. Even I do theater at the high school, and we've had them like in our ensembles for shows or in certain parts. And I do my best to help them out. Like, "Hey, do you want to go over this, or do you want to you know run these lines or something like that?" I think it's cool to see yes. them like doing that yeah. and being part yeah. of it because yeah. it's such a great community. So yeah. seeing them, not just us going into Unified Buddies, but some of these <clears throat> students with special needs coming into other programs and you know right. accepting right. and sort of I don't want to say maybe exposing more people, but giving people the opportunity mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. if they haven't mm -hmm. jumped already. Mm -hmm. Well, you bring up a good point. I was at a um, training, it was two years ago now, but they brought in this large group of students. I want to say they were from middle school, probably to high school, but it was their unified arts program. Mm -hmm. And so they came in and um, there were certain students who played instruments, like uh, one was on a piano, one, you know, but it was inclusive. Mm -hmm. And they sang, I can't remember what song it was, but we were all in tears. <laughs> and um, so that that's another, um, under Special Olympics, that is another type of program that, um, yeah. yeah, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there, and Unified Theater is another one. So um, yeah. that would be tremendous too. So a lot of it is um, finding the time and making the priority to do those things. But it is, it's definitely enriching. It enri enriches all of us. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, in the high school, there's. Uh, there's a program where you could do unified sports as well. 
I just haven't really been able to do it that much because it's been during my soccer season. Okay. So I didn't yeah. really, haven't really had the time to do it because it's after school. Mm -hmm. But I went to it a couple of times, and it's for track and field. Mm -hmm. And so they practice with um, the children with special needs, like how to do like shot put and like javelin, yeah. and kind of like what we did at middle school. And it's really fun. I wish it was like still going on, but COVID just a pain in the no, butt. I know. <laughs> There's a program, um, and I'm kind of speaking off the cuff right now because I know it's just in the formulations period right now. But have you, are you familiar with the silo? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so they're starting um, a, some type of theater program, but it's really for um, students with disabilities, but also uh, people who want to help. And so that would definitely, once it gets up and running, um, that might be something that you know could be advertised in the high school because I, I yeah. think that that would be a great opportunity and I know that they could probably use support mm -hmm. and help with their that kids awesome. so um, keep an eye out for that. We did meet with the new owner of the silo it must have been a couple months ago now but about the, the programs that Good. they wanted to start and there were so many things yeah. in the works that would be great to have. Yeah, it's exciting. Really we awesome. One of our parents who's spearheading it um, Mia Birch so mm -hmm. she uh, she and I have talked about it too so it'll go forward it'll just um, I don't know how quickly <laughs> yeah so Paz do you have anything like Unified Buddies in Danbury or do we, we do we have Unified Sports and same thing with theater we also have uh, special education students coming in all the time and my cross-country coach and the boys lacrosse coach uh, is one of the teachers for special education so there's definitely a lot more awareness mm -hmm. since so many kids, like it's such a huge school, yeah. but so many kids do lacrosse, so many kids run, so many different sports, so a lot more awareness comes from mm -hmm. having that coach, and he always tells us the same thing, that he treats us the same exact way he teaches um, all of his mm -hmm. students, so that's great. That's great. Sometimes it just takes one person like that to it have does. the um, vision to do it, and then everyone really recognizes it, definitely. that it's so important, mm -hmm. so that's great. Yeah. I think one thing I was going to ask before when Paz asked about um, something you would want like students in general to know, what do you think is something that you wish more parents knew, or like if you could give them one piece of wisdom or advice or something, what would you say to those parents? Oh goodness, um, well at the younger grades, you know, they might not see progress right away, but we do see progress. We see it in the, the, the middle school and we do see the big the big picture and that's hard for a parent sometimes to um, identify because they're so caught up in the moment and as a parent I totally get it. I do always want parents to know that we are here for them and that we will support them and we will work with them um, and I think they know that. I think that um, as a district I think we have a good reputation for our services um, so that's important and that there is, there is always hope there's always hope for their child, and when you stop hoping, that's when you give up. So we can never do that. We always have to push forward and have high expectations for our learners, high expectations for our teachers, which they, they do, they always do. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's really about moving forward and, and realizing that, like I said, even with Welcome to Holland, that this will be okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share? Maybe we didn't ask a question necessarily related to it, but something that you wanted to say? Um, I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, well, teaching is a calling. I think that being a special education teacher <laughs> is really a calling. Um, and I sat behind the desk and I know what it is like um, and the rewards and the challenges that come with it. But, 
you know, even in terms of like your your future or what you think of it, you know, it is a it's a huge responsibility, but there's also such payback in mm -hmm. terms yeah. of um, rewards and seeing the kids grow. I think that um, you know one of the comments I used to hear from different adults or whatever. Oh, you know, gee, you must have so much patience. Um, you must always. You have well, yeah, yeah, I probably do have a lot of patience, <laughs> but. Beside that, I see the incremental growth. I see the change. I see the progress. I see that, and I recognize that, and that's really important. So, yeah, Joey in you know a typical reading class might gain a year, but if if Megan gains one month, that's okay because she's making progress. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think having realistic expectations, along with, um, like I said before, just you know standards that are mm -hmm. high. But um, I think it's an important balance. So. I don't think we had any, I think we covered everything yeah. that was on our list here. That's pretty much Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you again to today's guest, Laura Olson, for her time and for sharing her knowledge with us and all of our listeners. If you want to learn more about some of the references she talked about, check out the description box. We hope you enjoyed this episode of YA Media, New Milford Youth Agency's media production podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode.